everybody. Welcome back to Fanatomy Podcast. My name is Adrian Ash, and I run this shit show. Uh, thanks for tuning in again to the show. It's pretty awesome to just see how far this thing is reaching already and just how many people are already really digging what we're doing. So thank you so much, everyone. And if you really like what we're doing, you can go over to patreon.com slash fanatomy and subscribe to our Patreon and have access to our post show, The Green Room. Um, It's where me and friends just talk about whatever we want, just as if we were in a real life green room. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. But anyway, today on the show, we have my friend Mike Davis from the amazing Fort Collins band Chess at Breakfast. Now, Chess at Breakfast does not make music for the faint of brain or heart or spirit or whatever have you. They're just a very interesting and weird band. They make progressive rock. They could give people like, you know, King Crimson a run for their money if they really, really wanted to. And they're just a really awesome, awesome progressive band. Um, They put on an incredible show. The way they write is just so complicated, but you know, they, they never make it feel like a chore to watch them. They're always just an engaging live act and now what am I doing? I'm just, I'm just going to let you guys listen to the show. I'm going to let y'all listen to the, to the uh, interview that I did with Mike, because we just got into so many things and it was such a inspiring and and just stimulating conversation. It was just really cool talking about everything from, you know, why bands write the way they do and like what what your motivation should be when you're creating stuff versus like, you know, where it shouldn't be and uh yeah, it was just a really great time and I'm I'm so glad that y'all have tuned in. Uh please follow Chess at Breakfast everywhere on social media and please follow Fanatomy podcast everywhere on social media that would be really awesome of you and one more thing chess at breakfast is breaking up and it's very very sad but they are pressing their final album monsters are people to vinyl and they've launched a kickstarter campaign for it recently or Indiegogo, or whatever they used. I don't know. I just call it Kickstarter. It's like a Kleenex thing, you know? Every tissue is a Kleenex now. But anyway, they put out a Kickstarter campaign, or a crowdfunding campaign, rather. There we go. For their uh, final record, Monsters Are People. It's going to be released on gold vinyl. It has the coolest album cover I've ever seen. So very interesting and uncomfortable to look at. But, um, you know, they're they're asking everybody to try to contribute to that. And, uh, you know, you can pre-order their album, Monsters Are People, with their crowdfunding campaign. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited that we get that final record and that it's going to get pressed to vinyl. It sucks that, you know, the music scene around here is losing such an amazing band, but this conversation I had with Mike was was really cool and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, and one last thing before I forget, uh, Chess at Breakfast is doing what is probably going to be their last show ever on July 2nd at the Aggie Theater here in Fort Collins, and I'm so excited to go. Um, I'm fully vaccinated now, and most of my friends are too, and it's just really cool to be able to go to see a show and not really have to worry so much, and uh, I just think that's really cool. So if you want to come hang out with me 
at the Aggie on July 2nd to go see Chess at Breakfast. Um, I, I would love to, to see you there. And uh, yeah, anyway, this this uh, this interview was recorded um, a while back, probably a couple of months before this airing date. But uh, I just wanted to update everyone and, and let them know that, uh, let you know, that the, uh, the Chess at Breakfast Monsters or People album release show is going to be on July 2nd at the Aggie Theater, and I am so excited to see you there. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Without further ado, I'm going to jump off this microphone and hand it over to Mike from Chess at Breakfast. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? I am super stoked. It's a cool day in Fort Collins. How are you? Yeah, is is that cool in the temperature sense and the uh, figurative sense? It's cool in just about every way that it can be. It's a it's a beautiful day. I'm looking out my window right now, and it's pretty awesome outside. I haven't been outside, but it looks real nice. And <laughs> it's also really cool that today we are recording the Fanatomy podcast with Mike Davis of Chess at Breakfast. And it's awesome to have you. Welcome to the show. I'm honored to be here. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's exciting to have you on. It's it's exciting to be recording a podcast because I've been listening to them for years. And what this show aims to do is to sort of destroy the concept of like fangirling or punishing your favorite artists or anything like that. Basically, this show is all about the love. And I don't I, I wanted to create a space where like we can talk musician to musician about other musicians that inspired us and our favorite artists. And we're just creating an environment where we can just nerd out because sure. myself being an autistic person, one of the things that I tend to do is whenever I discover a band, I like to dive in and I like to learn every single detail that I possibly can. And I like to pick everything apart and just consume as much about them as I can. And so if there's um, any way that I can create that sort of environment where we can talk about these bands that make us feel like such very strong emotions, that's what I'm trying to, to make here. For sure. I think that's a valuable thing, a valuable pursuit, because we both know plenty of music nerds, but... I think it's cool to broadcast that and, I don't know, remove some of the stigma. Not that it's like any stigma that compared to, compares to other stigmas, but remove some of the stigma of being over nerdy about music, which I think most people just experience music for what they see it to be. And that's how it should be. But I think there are there's a lot of music nerddom that doesn't that doesn't experience synergy because people may be like afraid to show that they're a nerd about music. Yeah, yeah. There's some David Foster Wallace quote. The problem with irony is everyone's afraid to like mess up and look stupid. Right. <laughs> and I, I really love that kind of thing because I understand the concept of punishing your favorite artist. Like when you go and see a show of your favorite band and you get to meet the front person who like wrote all your favorite lyrics that like helped you through some real hard times and and you just want to let them know all about that. Right. But the thing about that is that's you interacting with another person. And that person may have not slept very well or may have a headache or maybe hungry or maybe just gotten an argument or something. And so like your experience with that person may not be 100% what you were like hoping that it would be. 
And yeah. so I, I understand that. That's you know, an that interesting conversation right there. I think I've had a few moments where I got to meet some of the artists that I idolize. And in retrospect, I wish I would have just been more like, hey, like, just treat them like a normal person because they don't know you and you know them far better than they know you. And you also have this weird, hyper idealized notion of who they are just based on the work they've done. And it's and it can really throw them off and actually create a, a terrible first impression if you don't go in knowing that, yeah, they're human beings. They just they have lives and they're not maybe they're not even really extroverted. Maybe they're just people that love doing what they do and then going home and just recharging or maybe they're not always ready to just mingle and interact with fans. Believe me, I totally 100% understand that because part of uh, part of being autistic for me is all the bright lights and loud sounds and like interesting smells at shows like all of it at the same time can be a very overwhelming sensory experience and i'll just have to go out to my car for about 20 minutes right after we're done loading out because i just cannot for a minute but so basically what i want to say is it's totally understandable and normal to not to, to sort of shy away from trying to force that kind of moment on your favorite artist. And that's not what we're about here. What I want to do is basically be the space where you could say all of those things right. to your favorite <laughs> artist, about your favorite artist, whatever, without pretty much making them feel obligated to entertain you or just have those experiences because you are having, when you meet, someone that you sort of idolize you're having that experience for the first time and it's huge and cathartic and it's it's really important to you and on the other side of things it's really important for the artist too but they can only have that experience so many times in one day and so many times in one lifetime like how many people have come up to them and said the exact same thing that you're saying probably a lot and that doesn't mean that there's Wrong, anything wrong with anyone in that picture it's just shows are for meeting people and treating them like human beings but this podcast right here is for <laughs> nerding the fuck out <laughs> and that's that's why that's why we're here we're here to just talk about the the artists that that mean a lot to us and that have helped us grow as musicians and as people and sort of the lyrics that have inspired us to to do better for ourselves and we're just here to we're just here to nerd out about our favorite artists so welcome welcome mike <laughs> thank you so much for wanting to be a part of this hell yeah i'm so excited and yeah again it's a great idea and i think i think a lot of people are going to resonate with this so Rad. So, Mike, what were some of your, like, earliest (laughs) musical influences? Like, what were some of your earliest memories with music, first time ever really feeling struck by some kind of music? Do you remember when that was? So, I think my mom really got me into the classics, the classic rock, and we would listen to full albums a lot in the car, whether it's, like, usually, like, full albums, like, studio albums, or sometimes compilations, but the big ones that I can refer to are The Who, uh, The Beatles, and The Rolling Stones, probably. Also, Earth, Wind & Fire a little bit, Chicago a little bit, but a lot of those classic rock bands represented a musical awakening 
and almost like a like a nostalgia, like the, the that thing that kind of makes you feel like maybe I was born in the wrong time period. I don't really <laughs> I don't really think that anymore because there's so much cool music coming out all the time, especially since music is cheaper to make than ever, and it's you can get real high quality. But but I think probably I'd have to say the most influential album that I've ever listened to. We listened to it all the time in the car. It was probably Abbey Road. It's just such a classic and and it's got that kind of song cycle feel about it. It just flows and flows, especially the second half. And I don't know, it was it's just the the whole flow of the album, the instrumentation, the performances, and the fact that it was like the most refined version of the Beatles before they broke up. I know Let It Be came after, but I think Abbey Road was like the last album that they recorded like all in one one big session or one time period. So but yeah, I would say that. And then also Who's Next by The Who is a fantastic influential record for me. If you can't tell, I'm a big full album listener. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. I get that. It makes it tough these days to receive musical suggestions because everybody just a lot of people just send songs and I'm like, cool, I'll listen to that. I'm probably going to try and listen to the whole record, but I don't know if they've vetted the record. And it's kind of it, it feels like not enough of a deep dive. I'm very much like you and that I love to to do deep dives into the music I listen to. I like to get obsessed with like single albums for weeks on end and really digest them and just identify all of the nuances to the performances and the writing and even just the little mistakes that come through that might not have been intended in the moment, but were potentially intentionally left in after or in like the mixing and mastering process. But okay, sorry. Coming back to see, we, we just get on a roll. But uh, no, that's at- okay. That's why we're here is to just shoot the shit. <clears throat> talk about things that are important to us. And you were talking about things that are important to you. <laughs> For sure. No. Yeah. But yeah, so who's next? And then Rolling Stones is the greatest hits type thing. Like we would just listen to all their hit songs. But I would say those are probably the big three. And then I finally discovered led zeppelin like late middle school when i was like 12 maybe that was big that was like a serious breakthrough moment because it's like oh people can do this with just sound and it makes me wonder like what it was like to experience led zeppelin when they were first putting out their music it's crazy to think about that because that was like super cutting edge at the time and any any time after I was born is like already within this kind of assumption that Led Zeppelin was massively influential. Yeah. So since I know that you are a drummer, did you pick up any of that influence from John Bonham just like beating the shit out of his drums? Was that something that you sort of that grew into you? Yes. I think that's a huge... He's probably the biggest drum influence on me. Next up is probably Danny Carey from Tool. But like... John Bonham, just thunderous drums, not afraid to get real loud. That was still in the, like, he was, he came to prominence, like, on the tail end of this kind of, I don't know, British invasion, kind of twangy rock. The drummers in the background, definitely keeping the rhythm and shining at times, but not really being a super driving force creatively and dynamically in the music at least on the same level that john bonham was i think also mitch mitchell from uh jimmy hendrix is is important to note there too he had a really cool 
kind of style of breaking out and breaking out of the mix. But he was still more jazzy than John Bonham is. With John Bonham just created this new era of rock drumming, I think. So, yeah. <clears throat> so I, I I noticed that we were getting into like the things that you appreciate about different drummers, and I'm just gonna segue that right into like when did you first start playing the drums and what are some of your like favorite drummers and what what about them specifically do you appreciate cool yeah (laughs) like everything else i've got my like top five but so i started playing drums when i was eight years old i my mom got me a drum kit a pacific drum kit for it was a five piece so two rack toms and a floor tom and then I think it was a 24-inch kick drum and just a metal snare. It's still the same snare that I use today, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, so I've been playing drums for almost 20 years. And yeah, basically 20 years. So it's kind of crazy thinking about that. That has really informed my perspective on all the music I listen to, as well as my approach to different instruments. I play guitar, bass, keys. And I sing as well. And I've just wow. got a vi- I just got a crappy violin. I'm going to try and start learning that too. But having that drummer core, like that core uh, drummer identity has been really beneficial, I would say, to approaching other instruments because there's like an understanding of the kind of rhythmic component and the importance of the relationship with the drums, especially of the bass. The bass is like the glue that 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 holds together the melodics of the guitar and the vocals and then the rhythm of the drums. But it's not a rule, but it's something to understand. And then from there to bend the rules and play with them. But yeah. Okay. So drummers, I think obviously number one is John Bonham because just every single song, the drums, it's not only what the song calls for, but it's almost like the drums are what the song didn't even know it needed which I think Mm -hmm. is really important because you can play what a song calls for, but if you're not trying to push the song to a new place, then you're not getting, you're not getting the most out of what the song could be. In my opinion, like obviously there are times when it's important to be in the pocket and like stick, stick to the plan, but in moments and spaces where you can break out and throw the listener a curveball, rhythmically speaking. I think that's one major component that that I love about all my favorite drummers. So that's John Bonham exhibits that perfectly. I'd say number two is probably Danny Carey from Tool. His the the biggest thing that caught me off the bat with Danny Carey was his his very his very rare use of the snares on the snare drum. So the drums sound very tribal and just it, it that just that singular aspect of not using the snare on the snare drum a, a lot it just creates this whole different soundscape and aesthetic for the drums that it 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 like imbues the music with this kind of i don't know like that like i said before tribal and it's almost like primal more so than drums that do use the snare but and then besides doesn't he he also tune his drum heads way loose yeah or something like that yeah i think john bonham does that as well 
but he he might have actually gotten that from Bonham. But mm. the um, tuning them real low, it gives you a lot more room to to because like when you tune them low, if you hit them harder, you have like a greater range for like having a higher pitch when you hit it harder. So it's like more like a, more like a boom instead of like with the toms or with with the floor tom. But yeah, I think his use of toms and I don't know, just his unique polyrhythms and choice of like hand percussion, like with the tabla and other things like that, super important and unique. I think he definitely created almost a new era of drumming as well. You hit on a couple of things that I wanted to just sort of put a pin in and come back to and some me coming back to them. But you were talking about the uh, the good, the importance of the balance between being in the pocket as a drummer and honestly, just like being a musician playing with other musicians, like being in the pocket, sticking to the plan is a good thing. You want to write parts that serve the material. You want to play with the song and not on the song. One of the most like important lessons that I ever learned was to play with the material and not on top of it. But I, you know, what right. you said about also just not living in the pocket, like you don't want to stay in a place that like, I guess that's where the the state of mind between a band like ACDC and a band like Rush is. It's almost like prog rock is its own like mindset. It's yep. almost you could play in the pocket and it would be awesome and everyone would love it. But if you feel like you should challenge yourself or if you want to be the type of band that like challenges your audience to dig a little deeper and look for a little bit more, there's always that extra thing to love about when a musician just goes the extra mile to write things that are a little bit more complicated and a little bit more out of left field and surprising and and challenging. And I, I always thought that like trying to blend those two things was challenging and really rewarding because when you pull it off, it's awesome. Right. But everyone also knows like what it's like whenever you try to shove too much stuff in a song and it just it just comes off as like a bunch of people trying to show off. And it's just being able to to balance those two schools of thought is really is really like a powerful tool to have as a musician. Yeah. And to, to properly find the balance between those two things, you, you have to almost go to the extreme in both directions so that, okay, this is too simple and this is too complex or this is too busy. And I think like the ACDC point was interesting because I think with ACDC, I feel like they understand what their <laughs> musical purpose was. And a lot of the complexity of that music was just in Angus Young's guitar playing and everything else was like uh, the vocals too, but the, but everything else like the bass, the rhythm guitar and the drums were there to provide just a platform for the guitar and the vocals to the lead guitar and the vocals to have this interplay and just understanding that understanding the relationship between all the different instruments in any given project is immensely important for being successful because then everyone understands what I guess what their range is and the music will benefit as a result of that. Fantastic points. We're jumping around on. I'm really excited with how well this is just like flowing out. So we, we go so into I more was... drummers or no. Well, okay. <laughs> well, what I wanted to get into was your band, okay. Chess at Breakfast. And so I'm going to give my perspective on what an outsider, namely me, 
sees <laughs> when we watch Chess at Breakfast. There are these three people on stage and very just all very talented, skilled musicians. But th- there's there's just three different styles going on that all work really well together. And your vibe that I would describe is very it's not heavy, but it's creepy. it's not it's not metal but it's ominous and it it just it's cool it's neat to listen to and i was just sort of wondering if you could talk about where your band name came from what your sort of band philosophy is if you have one and like what y'all are generally trying to do or say with your music the name we kind of it's it was it's one of those things that it just happens and then we retroactively assign this cool meaning to it, or it's almost like a, it's almost like prophetic how the name feels like it just seems, oh, this is a cool, unique name off the bat. And then the band almost ends up representing the name after the fact. I think, so the best, the, my, my personal meaning for the Chess at Breakfast name is it's like this breakfast is, I feel like, often seen as like a peaceful meal like you don't you want to start your day in a peaceful way ideally the ideal breakfast obviously mm-hmm. they breakfasts come in many shapes and sizes and, and moods but but an omelet this morning it was amazing <laughs> very, nice, very nice yeah but then and then chess is this kind of game of war and it's a competition type situation the, the look on your face just melted into seriousness <laughs> i just wanted to tell all our listeners that it was just entertaining for <laughs> i want to be an actor someday so <laughs> oh, go for it yeah you're great <laughs> sorry continue I didn't mean to cut that out. no you're good yeah but so chess is this game of war but it is a game still. It's not it's it's got this sense of competition, but the stakes really aren't that they aren't that high. There's still like a I don't know, a lightheartedness to playing that game of war. And I think it really just represents both our soundscape and kind of the content that we express through our music. Uh, a lot of it. So like with the soundscape, we are very dynamic. We do like very soft stuff, very loud stuff, very soft stuff. There's just a a wide range. It's not always a wall of sound and then nothing and then a wall of sound and then nothing. But we try to uh, use that in a very tasteful way to serve the music and to throw people for a loop. I I wouldn't. I don't want I don't personally want to make music at least through this project that's super easy listening like background stuff i I want music i want to make music that is going to make people think and make people question what they think can be done with music that's the goal there but there's also this kind of dark comedy element to our music as well which i think is it disarms some people who might in in if the content was different, it disarms them to our music and it makes it more of a lighthearted listening experience because some of our music is really intense, which especially on our upcoming album, that will be even more true. But but yeah, like we tr- we don't take it too seriously, but also we take it seriously enough to at least want to be pushing the envelope of at the very least what we can do with music and hopefully what anybody can do with music. That's a great answer. And I like that you were talking about taking it seriously, but not too seriously, because that is definitely something that I pick up from y'all like you. And 
I sort of get from y'all that you sort of do what we try to do, which is like me and Jude when we write. And what I can tell from Chess at Breakfast is y'all tend to be very like serious when it comes to writing the parts in the rehearsal space and like getting everything solid and perfect. And then when you go play it live or make your promo stuff, you're hilarious and (laughs) you're not serious at all. It's really fun. Not to say that you're not serious musicians when you play live, but your live show is very engaging and very fun. And like you do prog rock somehow in a way that's very, very fun and crowd engaging you y'all have a clear history of playing house shows and stuff and interacting with people. And I think it's really cool for a band to have a a really neat blend of being able to push themselves as musicians, but also sort of that almost like punk rock attitude of we're just gonna party. And this music is complicated, but that doesn't mean it's inaccessible and it's challenging, but that doesn't mean it's pretentious. It's just like hanging out, doing its thing. And you can hang out at this place and, and do your thing with us. And we'll all be goofy together because we spent the time being serious when it mattered and now it's time to have fun yeah 100 percent. that's a great point about really practicing the songs and treating them in a very serious way when you're in your own space and then when you take that to a new environment you never know you rarely know how many people are going to be there you don't know what the mood's going to be you have to create the mood and being being very practiced is the best way to not only be able to play everything the way you want to play it, but also take liberties to make it to adapt the music and the live performance aspect of the music to places that that would only happen in that particular situation. Maybe because this particular crowd like wants to mosh more or this particular crowd is like way more infatuated with like particular like guitar solos or or whatever or maybe maybe people are really locking into the drums or i don't know there's so many different ways that a live performance can go and so bringing a a very practiced regimen of your music into that environment where you don't know what's going to happen is the best way to go yeah yeah for sure so let's talk about your favorite artists. I know that you were specifically talking about like John Bonham and Danny Carey. And I don't know that much about Led Zeppelin, but I can nerd out with you over some tool nice. like any day of the week. So I was just wondering if, if you could tell me when you discovered tool, like around what album it was. And like, did you go chronological? Did you like discover this one song and find the rest of it? Just when did you sort of like, how did you discover Tool? What was the first record you remember getting into? I discovered Tool. I think I discovered them like through YouTube or Facebook or something. And then I, it was back in the days of, I think I discovered them like around 2007, 2008. I was 14, 13, 14. And it was back in the days of CDs. I would just burn albums onto CDs and just listen to that. And actually my job in high school was the commute actually was 40 minutes. So I basically had time either to listen to a full album 
on the way to work or from work or in tools case listen to one album over the course of of the there and back because their albums are like 80 minutes or whatever (laughs) but but yeah so i think the first song that i really latched onto was schism just because it was like the most popular i think a lot of people that's probably the only song they like really no by tool it's a fantastic song and from there i just listened to lateralis a lot that was the first record that i really just latched onto, and it was really interesting because there are a lot of bangers on that album but it ends with this weird <laughs> like three track like what the hell's going on situation but that guy, I would listen through that too. And it's just like a commitment thing. You commit to the whole album and think they were a band that really tested like that kind of inner value system for me. I'm committed to following this artist on their path. But yeah, that, that record is still my favorite by them is Lateralis. I am going to have to agree with you. Nice. It's I, I think it's their best work. And I think that's... Saying a lot because they're they have a lot of really great records. Undertow, the Hush EP was just like it's just an angry record, and so was Undertow. And then Anima was when they started doing all the drugs, yeah, and like <laughs> expanding their mind and yep. whatever. And the Lateralis was like, okay, we're good at writing songs, and we have drugs now, and we have a little bit more to say other than censorship is bad or whatever. <laughs> I, I think Lateralis was it was a really great chunk of songs and just the way that it reveals its subtleties very slowly and a lot of the songs are like part of a larger set of songs and uh, the everything from like the album art like they've always had amazing album art everything from like the album art to the way the the structure of the songs is put together is just phenomenal and uh, things like like eon blue apocalypse going yeah. into i think schism right yep no, oh. the patient, and then mantra goes into schism. Yeah, yeah. There's, and then parable, and yeah, <laughs> parable and parabola. Like I know way too much dumb trivia about that record. Like, <laughs> right. Mantra is the sound of Maynard James Keenan being like a dick to his cat. Let's be. Yeah, honest. it was the cat, right? <laughs> yeah, he was like he like prickled his cat's hair on the back of its neck or something, and was just like trying to annoy his cat, and because <laughs> his cat was making some goofy sounds. And then he like put a bunch of effects on it. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And then like the crazy alien thing at the very end of the record. It's a hoax for sure. Yeah. It's like this dude calling into a radio station talking about how he used to work at Area 51 and like they're chasing him. and stuff. I I thought that was cool. I knew it was a hoax before I listened to it, but it still was just like, oh, my God, the way they like added all these like scary layers and stuff makes it really like creepy and well yeah and cool danny and... carey's just going like just crazy on the drums that whole time so cool yeah so cool yeah and that that record in, in particular is definitely my favorite and i'm glad that it's yours too because i think it's Ten Thousand days was really cool too but i personally i i you know lovingly Call, refer to that record is as a uh, mommy issues the record yeah. <laughs> like, yeah it sort of is but i oh, yeah. it's got a lot of it's a lot of great lyrics a lot of great parts and instrumentation and subject material and everything but lateralis is for me 
where it's at. Yeah. And uh, the so, most serious, it, it, you can take it the most seriously of all their records, I think. Though, like, I think it is the objective best, though I do sometimes go back and forth between Lateralis and Enema because I just love the overall flow of Enema. And I think some of the songs, like, just hit me harder perhaps because of the production the production is so much more like warm and lo-fi in almost a sense and it just feels more raw to me at times and then my favorite song by them is third eye i just love that track is amazing i'm also a huge i'm a big bill hicks fan because of them but like having that start off third eye was so cool i think but yeah yeah, for sure. I I'm just, I'm glad that we could talk about Tool because Tool's a great band. But we got a, a side note a little bit. Like we're gonna address the elephant in the room that some Tool fans can be obnoxious about Tool. You could say that for a lot of bands, but like it's sort of one of those things where. And Maynard has said like a lot of goofy stuff in the press too, and mm. just been a jerk sometimes. But I think he's, he's definitely a dick. But I think he's like trolling like <laughs> most of the time yeah and like the fact that he was on joe rogan <laughs> i was like okay these two bros are broing out and i'm just gonna <laughs> ignore this yeah i'm gonna yeah, listen yeah. to the music i'm gonna listen to the music when i want to listen to the music but i'm not into that whole scene tools tool fans can be i understand because i was one of these tool fans myself when i was 17 i was okay. the type to be like you need to listen to tool and open your mind and like <laughs> yeah basically just the pretentious condescending jerk that you can find in every single fandom but like tool fans and like a lot of just metal fans in general i notice are really bad about it and it just kind of sucks because tools an incredible band who put out some amazing music but like some absolute shitheads are into tool and a lot of the people that i've met that are into tool are really great sweet nice people but there's just some there, there are the types out there that will berate you for not listening to Tool. Or even if you like Tool, do you like all the albums or do you listen to the <laughs> singles? Or, oh, you like, you only like Anima or, oh, you only like this. And it's just silly how like pedantic it can get sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, there's like a, a weird political cultishness to Tool fandom as well. There's this weird conspiracy theory type like like almost libertarian tendency for a lot of these tool fans that think it's like the greatest thing that's ever happened to planet earth which is just not true at all <laughs> you know <laughs> but I yeah, and they're a great band. I've I saw them live once. It was really cool. Yeah. I had a great time, but like Whenever people start acting like any band, whenever people start acting like it's the best band on earth, and if you don't know who they are, then you're an idiot. And you know, I just like that that vibe just puts people off of music in general. And yeah, I think that's a huge problem specifically for getting women into music. There's so many like there there are so many dudes that have been like, why aren't more women into rock and roll and heavy metal? And then those same dudes will ask any girl in a tool shirt to name five songs. And it's, yeah, you want more women to be involved in the scene, but you gotta make it a little bit more welcoming. And so I just think that as much as I love tool, there's a lot of baggage with, I'm not, 
it, I guess I could wear a tool shirt and it wouldn't be a big deal and I wouldn't feel weird about it or anything because I could be a cool tool fan. But I just know that there are a lot of us out there that are just obnoxious about it. And I just wish that weren't the case. And if there's any tool fans listening because this album or this episode is going to say tool in the headline, maybe we could work on that. Maybe we could just, just try to love the music and appreciate it and not put people down for not knowing every single thing about it. Yeah. 17 year old Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good old, good old callback <laughs> talking to your yeah. past self. I think, yeah. And that, again, that, like you said, that, philosophy and that approach can be uh, applied to any band that's like a cult band and i think i would assume you as well like i'm a lot of my favorite bands are like have cult audiences and it's just and that that aspect alone can make it feel like there's this secret truth to being a fan of this band it's no you just like it and yeah sure maybe the lyrics are like potentially are definitely more meaningful and more uh, i don't know they just have more substance to them than like pop bs but again like there's a venue for every musical act and yeah hey, I, I like a lot of pop bs <laughs> yeah exactly and and also a lot of pop it's just straightforward like it's yeah and i think that's why people like it and there are creative cool ways you can say things that are like really straightforward and that's why there's this there's we don't listen to the same pop music all the time. The top 40 cycles in, cycles out, because people just figure out new ways to say similar or the same things. And that's kind of what all music is. Like people just, people have these deep things that they need to express. And sure, it may feel differently when you're the one that makes it or when you're like the only person in your friend group that likes it or something like that. But the end of the day i think everybody's trying to convey at least similar things through music either um trying to have some catharsis from pain or express satisfaction or you know, all of these kind of basic human things that people express through music or just art in general yeah but yeah, and there's something to be said about something that's just fun to tap your foot to, and then something to be said about diving into the the depths of consciousness and <laughs> seeing what you find. Like when I want to listen to to Tool, I'll listen to Tool. When I want to listen to ACDC, I'll listen to that because ACDC was pretty much like the pop. It was pop BS at the time. And yeah, I don't know. I just, gosh, I lost my train of thought there. A- anyway, I would also like to uh, point out that we do have a Patreon and we're getting that up and rolling. We're going to have a post-show thing. And uh, Mike, if you want to stick around and chit-chat with me about some things that we're not going to talk about on the show, that would be super rad. Yeah, we're going to dive into a little bit more specifics on some things, but that'll be really exciting for our patrons. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And if you just want that little bit of extra stuff, we have got that for you. So with that said, moving right along, I just wanted to ask. So I know it's a complicated question with Tool because (laughs) so many of their songs are just just part of another song. But I know you were talking about Third Eye being your favorite song and part of what I what I wanted to find out is what's your favorite song and why (laughs) where why that song and not any of their other songs. I'm a big fan of 
long songs and songs that like really take you to new to just like different places significantly different places within that singular song and i think first of all like i'm a big advocate of allowing people to do what they want with their bodies and then this song is like pretty pretty it's pretty obvious that drugs are uh like part of the conversation at least within those lyrics and i think like the war on drugs has been a really detrimental thing for so many reasons. And so like the beginning of the song kind of sets the tone with the Bill Hicks quote where he's talking about all the music that's enhanced your lives throughout the years. The all the all of those artists are like really high on drugs, which obviously yep. isn't it's not a rule and there's been plenty of great music made not on drugs. I, jokes on you i like minor threat <laughs> <laughs> yeah but good, good old straight edge but uh, i think it's important to just appreciate the fact that like substances are part of humanity and whether it's someone's coffee or someone having a beer or someone smoking some weed or going even further into like psychedelics or anything like that like it's important to just appreciate the effect that they have on like art and things that we enjoy and beyond that more concrete subject of those lyrics it just talks about in general like being open-minded and not being afraid to be vulnerable and explore your creativity and that kind of stuff and then also just beyond that the love i love the instrumental how it builds how it gets to the kind of prying open my third eye once and then goes back goes back down for another kind of progression and build and then the song ends with that exact same thing and then just ends with this d minor chord at the very end it's just so epic it's a great way to end the album so yeah yeah Yeah. whenever i saw them they opened with that song nice and I thought that was a really interesting choice because it's like this is a sprawling epic song and you open with it. Right. Okay. <laughs> like I'm listening, dude. And keep in mind, this was 2010. I was 19. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but like I was 19. I was there with a bunch of my friends and whatever. I live in Colorado. It's 2021. We were high as fuck. <laughs> it was awesome. And not to like, whatever. Screw the caveats. This is my show. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think I think this the point that you were making, it's it seems like a, you've interpreted the song to sort of mean I know that Tool really doesn't like to tell you what their stuff means. Right. I am sort of the opposite because that's writing songs is sort of how I vent. Uh-huh. And so they're very specific and honest and explicit most of the time. But I like your interpretation of this song is about how drug use isn't necessarily a bad thing and actually has helped a lot of a lot of artists make art and a lot of people think differently and coffee is is a drug and nicotine is a drug right. and like the stigmatization the stigmatization of drug use is something that isn't necessarily helpful and the war on drugs is absolutely horrible especially for communities of color right. the school to prison pipeline is largely like helped along by this war on drugs that we've had going on for decades that has done nothing but tear people apart and so i just i, I wanted to tell you that i appreciated your interpretation of that song sort of meaning to you that bodily autonomy is an important thing and being able to do drugs does not necessarily make you like a bad person or something like that. I just thought that was cool. Yeah. And I think the less we stigmatize drugs, the more 
the better our relationship with them is going to be in general. And yeah, obviously the prison stuff, like with marijuana, like how many people are just sitting in prison for a nonviolent drug offense, marijuana offense? Like that's horrible. That's that's completely unjust and it's unbecoming. It's not that type of behavior is not worthy of the ideals of this country or the ideals of the enlightenment more broadly. So it's just, it's horrible. But yeah, I think that song in general, it's just been influential for me in a lot of ways, musically as well. And yeah, the lyrics are just one component of it. That's the other thing is I don't usually latch on to lyrics first. I usually just take the music for how it sounds and I try, I just naturally just don't latch on the lyrics and hear the, the vocals as just an instrument. Like, how are the words sung? Like, how do the vocals sit with and relate to the rest of the music? Yeah. What, do, do you listen to, do you latch on the lyrics first often or? It really depends. Like, obviously, I'm not going to listen to the lyrics first when I'm listening to like grindcore or even like dubstep or something like or EDM or whatever. I just whenever the lyric basically I'm trying to just listen to what the music is and what it's sort of asking of me or if it's like trying to tell me something instead of ask if it's if we're listening to Tom Waits, I'm listening to the lyrics first and then the timbre of his voice and Mm -hmm. what he's trying to like the mood he's trying to create with my chemical romance. They're sort of like a big theatrical band. Yeah. So you get the lyrics, which are amazing, but it's also accompanied by such a incredible instrumentation where it's just sort of like a rock opera put onto, put onto a, a record. Yeah. And it's like the black parade is basically a theater production. Exactly. And, and so I think it just depends on what the music is trying to, to, to say. And basically, if it's just if it's got something to say, I'm trying to listen to it. Yeah. And it's always interesting going in, not particularly focusing on any one thing off the bat. And then what kind of just resonates with you off the bat, like what lyrics shine through, what particular instrumental parts shine through. And then on repeated listens, if you deem it is important, it is worth uh, repeated listens then starting to focus on different things, having different things hit you on those repeat listens. I mean, with great records, I think you'll hear something new even on your 10th listen or even your 20th listen. Depends on how you're listening, like what you're listening on, what mood you're in, how much attention you're paying to the music. There's so many factors. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And trying to just listen attentively is the important thing. It's it's one thing when you're just like putting something on to just have some music on. But if you're trying to appreciate music, it's good to, to have an active ear. And I think I feel the same way you do in terms of like repeat listens where I tend to just listen to the same album over and over mm-hmm. again when I first get into a band. And then I'll do the same thing with all their other records. But I tend to listen to one record over and over again, and I enjoy like hearing things that I didn't hear the first time exactly. and just appreciating all the different layers and all the stuff that's more apparent when you give it more time. Yeah, super important. I think I would hope that I, I always try to get people to do that more. Like I always try to just be like, just try listening to the whole album or or try it again. If someone doesn't like something I show them, just, just be like, uh, maybe give it another try 
when you're in a different mood or something. Because so many of my favorite albums, I didn't like. I didn't like them that much the first time, but I understood. I saw what they were going for, and there's a difference between really liking something the first time and understanding what the artist is trying to convey with the music. And I think that's the thing that determines whether I'm willing to go back to it once, one or two more times to really see if if it resonates on a more primal level than just being like, I understand, I think I understand what they're going for. It just didn't resonate with me this first time. So let's give it another go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good place. I think to, to sort of leave where we're at, I would love it if, if, if some people want to hang out on the post show and we can talk a little bit more about some specific things regarding chess at breakfast and plasma canvas. If you want, we could talk about tool some more, but I, I think that's going to be really rad. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to hang out a little bit more on the post show. Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming on and being my first guest on this new show and jumping right in with me in this new adventure. I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Of course, I'm honored. And yeah, I'm excited to talk a little bit more on the post show. So thank you. Cool. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Hey, Johnny, you want to jump in? <laughs> Oh my gosh, how cool was that? That was such a fun time, you know, just hanging with my friend Mike and talking about just all the ways we we think about what we're trying to do with music, you know, and like how that can be just so different for for so many people and, you know, it's it's just important to to chase whatever you really really feel and try to make it interesting and and you know, make it make it fun and, and challenging for yourself. So it was just really wonderful to talk to Mike, and I I can't wait until we get to all hang out together again and and do stuff and play shows because I just know that Mike is gonna do amazing things with whatever he does with his career in the future. And uh, you know, Chess at Breakfast is just one of those bands that is is truly unique and cool and and weird and. You know, they will be very missed, but before they're gone, we can pre-order that last record, Monsters Are People, and get that on vinyl, and it is uh, it is an amazing record, everyone. It's so good. I've heard some of it, and it's just, it's phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal? Phenomenal. It's a great record. Please consider donating to their crowdfunding campaign for it. Thank you. And also, um, if you would please, please subscribe to our Patreon so we can continue doing this podcast and uh, making great content for y'all. Um, we have a show up called The Green Room. And what Mike and I did was we discussed each other's songs in The Green Room. So if you want to come check that out and just hear me talk about the guts of some Plasma Canvas songs, that'd be that would be really cool. So, uh, yeah, thank you everybody for listening to this podcast. Please follow us everywhere on social media at Fanatomy Podcast and check out that Patreon. We'll see you soon. This is Fanatomy.